This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is Prevent Defense, the podcast. What's going on, everybody? This is the Prevent Defense Podcast. I am Elliot Shore Parks, along with the one, the only, Brian Baldy, who is over there in London town, man. How is uh, how's International Baldy doing? Well, it's it's always good. You know, um, I, I lived over here, Elliot, back when we were doing NFL Europe days and know the people at the BBC and at Sky. So um, I feel like I'm back in my element, but... The, the fact is, is that there is a, an enormous appetite for these games shown live over here, which means, you know, this second game between Tennessee and Baltimore is probably going to finish sometime around 4 or 4.30 in the morning. So, but it, they don't care. I mean, they're, they're interested in the game and interested in watching it live, which to me is just remarkable to see how far the fan base has come over here. Well, I think they probably share a passion in the way that I'm sure you'd wait up till 4.30 in the morning to watch this game as well. Is there is there any like one team they're rooting for over there? Or is it kind of mixed all over? I know when I was there last year for Eagles-Jaguars, the stadium was completely sold out, and they probably had a jersey from all 32 teams in the audience. Yeah, I, I, I get the sense, though, that the 49ers are probably the team of choice hmm. simply because of their history. Like a lot of these – Brits that became fans. Joe Montana was there. And so it's sort of been passed down. But I'm, I'm sure, just like you saw, you could make a case for any of the eight teams that are still remaining. Getting good sightseeing in while you're over there yet? Or just mostly Well, yeah, football? you know, I have. I actually went to uh, the Parliament building the other day and sat in on the House of Commons and House of Lords. And that was, that was interesting to watch. I went to the U.S. Embassy and met with Woody Johnson and um, I thought what was interesting about meeting with Woody was the the ambassador of Germany was kept waiting while he was picking my brain about his jets. So <laughs> that was that was kind of cool. But you, uh, you know, you don't have to go very far in London um, to be at some sort of monument where you're looking around and seeing some date or history. Uh, so that's it's it's always sort of happening. There you go. All right. Well, I know I know you had a chance, obviously, to watch these games from last weekend. Really good games all around. I mean, even the one that everybody thought might not be that interesting, Bills at Texans, ended up being really good. Really a great weekend of football. But once again, we kind of walk away with the talk being about what wasn't called, what should have been called, missed calls, late hits, those type of things. And what I'm really focusing on is the hit that Carson Wentz took from Jadavion Clowney that knocked him out of the game and, and really changed that entire game. I mean, it ended up being you know, a one-score game, but it really completely changes for the Eagles. And then, of course, the push-off by Kyle Rudolph against the Saints. Saints, once again, end up leaving the playoffs, feeling like they got screwed a little bit by the uh, refs. I want to get your take on both of those individually, but just overall, do you think we've reached a point where something absolutely has to happen? Because I know you love football. You know, obviously, I love football. Everyone listening does. And yet, here we are again, so much of the talk being about the referees. 
I don't think that we can ever just play a clean game anymore, Elliot. I mean, you're talking about two teams that are completely affected by calls. I mean, I look, I mean, I know people think Jadevian Clowney's hit is dirty. I don't, I don't necessarily think it's dirty, but it's a it's a call that has to be flagged. Like it, it has like you can't miss that call. You've got the umpire and referee behind the line of scrimmage. They're both looking to protect the quarterback. And I know he's a runner outside the pocket, but I don't care if he's a runner. I don't care if he's a quarterback. You can't hit the head. Like, it's a clear shot to Carson's head. Now, nobody knew at the time that he was going to be knocked out of the game. He played a few more plays before, like, you know, there was something clearly wrong. You can see it on the sideline. Um, You know, but it shouldn't take that. It shouldn't take an injury. I mean, these calls, I, you, you go back a long ways watching the Eagles, but I can remember Brian Dawkins getting flagged and fined $125,000 back when he was playing with the Eagles on a yeah. call in the middle of the field, I think, against the Cowboys. But like they have been trying to take these hits to the head out of the game, and rightfully so. I'm all for it. But like, how do you miss that? I mean, here's the biggest star on the Eagles team. He, he basically played four plays in the game. And the other thing is, so talking to some of the players in the Eagles locker room who have every right to be very much upset about what happened, it's interesting how their perspective is kind of, well, it's football, it's going to happen. And I think that, I mean, you as a former player, I'd be interested in your in your take on this, but like, I, I think that the word dirty is really thrown around far too liberally. I think that people are I so agree. quick, people are so quick to label any hit that injures somebody dirty, but like. I don't think Jadavion Clowney went in trying to hurt Carson Wentz. I think he said this this is a shot, this is a chance to get a hit in on Carson, which I think we could all understand is a part of the game. Like maybe that's something that has to eventually leave the game. But as of right now, a defense's goal is to hit the quarterback and get him rattled. Now, I think it should have been flagged clearly. And I think the most disappointing part about it not being flagged is the league talks so much about protecting their players and especially protecting quarterbacks. So if it's ever close, you want to lean on the side of caution, which is throwing the flag, especially that early on in the game. I mean, if that would have been flagged, Wentz is still gone and all those things, but it does set a tone of, okay, we're going to be calling these these uh, type of hits. Well, you're right. You're right on, on all grounds, Elliot. And I guess, you know, we've seen so many calls that seem like they were such touch calls. You know, those hits last year that, um, you know, that Clay Matthews was putting on quarterbacks and we're like, come on now. We we're talking about body weight on quarterbacks and, yep. and all this. I mean, this was – it was a late hit. He's on the ground and it's to the head. Like either one of those, like if he doesn't even hit him in the head, he hits him in the middle of the back, it's, it's a late hit. Like it's not that hard to see. It's not like one of these bang-bang plays. I mean, and I agree with you. Like – it's not a dirty hit. I, I feel like I know Jadevian. You can't get the smile off the guy's face. He's not a dirty person. He's had dirty plays that have knocked him out early in his career to the knees and cut blocks. And like he, like I, I just don't believe it, it's dirty, but it doesn't need to be dirty. It just needs to be called. And mm-hmm. you can't harp on this stuff and make it part of the NFL officiating, you know, handbook every single week and then miss it in a playoff game in front of the yeah. whole country. Like it just seems, it just seems bizarre. So, like purposely this weekend, I've written down on all four games. Walt Anderson starts it off tomorrow, tomorrow night in San Francisco. 
I mean, Walt Anderson is the referee in San Francisco, Minnesota. Like, I wrote down all the officials. You know, Sean Hockley is an official this weekend. But, like, I feel like these guys, it's going to be, if we saw this last week, and we'll get to Saint, Saint, uh, the Saints of Minnesota, but I just feel like it's going to be inevitable that the officiating is going to get in between the outcome of one or more of these games this weekend. Yeah, yeah, and it's a shame that it's really gotten there. And I do wonder if we'll ever get to the point where everything is just kind of automated in terms of maybe you have a guy down on the field to control things in case it gets out of control, but just every call is automated. You're someone, you know, someone's watching the offensive line, someone's watching the defensive line and they're all up in the booth and they make these calls because, you know, some people will say they kind of prefer the human element of it, you know, missed calls, those type of things. But I just really think that eventually we're going to have to get to a point where there's so much money involved in these games, both being bet and in terms of just what's on the line that you have to end up getting these calls right. But a game that didn't really feature any controversial calls, but certainly was, uh, you know, probably the most interesting outcome of the weekend. The Tennessee Titans go into New England. They beat the Patriots. Um, just watching that game, I mean, they just completely dominated the line of scrimmage. It was a good old-fashioned just beat down in terms of what Derrick Henry was able to do to them. Um, obviously, the Patriots offense struggled. Lots of different takeaways. And lots of different questions to come from that. But before we talk about the what could happen because of the loss, just what did you see watching that game? Well, I mean, what's so <clears throat> I saw just total domination. I mean, uh, Derrick Henry runs the ball 34 times. They get the ball. The opening drive was the opening drive. Okay. I mean, they go right down the field. They're moving. The, Bill Belichick has him in a bare defense. He's got three defensive linemen out there. It didn't matter. Danny Shelton, Lawrence Guy, it didn't really make a difference. Adam Butler, I mean, they just got lifted out of there and just moved basically like an Uber ride, eight, ten yards down the field. And, you know, and then they kind of went dormant for a while. And then they got the ball with two minutes, 16 seconds at the 25-yard line. And, like, Derrick Henry gets the ball on eight touches, seven runs and a a completion, and they're in the end zone. And it's like the Patriots were helpless to stop them. And I guess – you know, and then, you know, at the end of the game, they, they couldn't get the ball away. And you just go, the strength of what Bill Belichick has always been able to do in almost every big game is take away your best asset. And he clearly understood that Derrick Henry was the best asset. But he couldn't take it away. He didn't have a defense design. This was the number one defense in football. If you look at any of those stats, which obviously don't mean anything now. But, I mean, he's there with all the, the things that you have to do to stop a run, and they couldn't do it. And I guess if if this was the game that was the denouement of the Patriots organization and their dynasty, if this is the turning point, then you it's not just Tom Brady. It's like Bill Belichick couldn't turn it, couldn't take away their greatest asset, like he's always been able to do, whether he's shorthanded or not. And you go, maybe it's time to turn the page on all of them, the whole thing right now. Yeah, and the interesting thing with the Patriots is, as good as they were this year, I mean, they lost almost every good team they faced. They lost to the Titans. They lost uh, to the Ravens. They barely beat the Bills, uh, who ended up getting knocked out in the first round. I mean, they didn't really end the year with a lot of quality wins. I can't think of maybe even one off the top of my head. I mean, they beat the Steelers in week one when – uh well, they just beat Buff- they, they beat Buffalo. They beat Buffalo. You know, you know, in week sixteen. But you know, they lost. They lost three of their last five games. 
Yeah. So, and they lost four of their last seven, if you count Baltimore. So, you know, Baltimore, uh, Houston, Kansas City, Buffalo, uh, you know, Miami. I mean, they, you know, and then obviously Tennessee. So, you know, it was the worst second half of a season we've seen in the last decade from this team. Well, and the interesting point you raise is I think a lot of the talk has been, will Tom Brady go back there, right? But maybe the larger question is, if you're Kraft, do you want to run this back? I mean, if Brady wants to come back, obviously Belichick would would be back as well, I would assume. Um, It seems like McDaniels is going to get that job in Cleveland. Uh, His wife's traveling with him to Cleveland today as we're recording this on, on Friday. So it does seem like that might happen. But if you're Kraft, like, do you want to run it back with this team? I think there's really only two ways to go, and you hinted at it. Either you bring back Brady and Belichick, and then you just go all out and adding talent to the offense. This is like, this is our final year. We're not even looking past 2020. Just do whatever you can to win one more. Or do you say to yourself, you know what? Maybe it's time for that rebuild. And it's a shame for it, Brady to go out that way. I mean, the final pass was a pick six. A ball he shouldn't even have thrown. The guy was was covered. But – you know, I just wonder what's the best course of action for them. Is it to bring Brady back or is it maybe to let Brady walk? Well, okay. So I've always said, going back to my days playing for Tom Landry, when he lost Mike Ditka, he lost a lot of good coaches, Dan Reeves. I've always said that it's much harder to replace good to great coaches than it is good to great players. And so you're going to lose your special teams coach, Joe Judge. You're going to lose probably Josh McDaniels. You have lost Brian Flores. I mean, you know, I mean, you you, you lost uh, Patricia, Matt Patricia. Can they can they sustain excellence with basically Belichick in charge of everything? Like, I don't know if there's a succession plan for any of these coaches that they've lost. Um, so it, it, it's going to be harder to keep it together. I think Bob Kraft's looking at all that. I mean, I'm 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 not. I'm being a little facetious, blow it all up. I mean, it is Bill right. Belichick. I'm not really saying that. But Tom Brady sure looked old. He looked old all season long. And I understand that outside of Julian Edelman, he didn't really have much. Um, you could say that about the offense line, but they've got a, a first-round pick at left tackle. They've got a second-round pick at left guard. They've got an all-pro right guard. They've got a second-round pick at right tackle. Was it like it's just – you know, free agents up on the offense line. These are guys that they coveted in the draft, you know? And so, okay, you say, if you go and you get yourself a stud offensive lineman, maybe a center, and you go get yourself a stud tight end, and you go get yourself a star wide receiver, does that put the offense back in the top five without Josh McDaniels? Uh, You know, maybe, maybe, but it's not, it's clear that Tom Brady, Drew Brees, you know, Josh McCown, they're not getting younger. And they're not getting better. Now, they, they may still have flashes of being goats. I'm not putting Josh McCown in that category. I'm just saying he's 40 years old. Like, do you, at some point, we're looking at Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson. That has always been the NFL. The future has always been in young players. I remember when Joe Montana and Dan Marino went at it in the Super Bowl. And these guys were, were what we're going to watch this weekend. And they were, and they were that for the next decade. And you just go, do you really want to hang on to this when maybe there's a Mahomes out there or maybe there's a Deshaun Watson out there? Maybe Tua is that guy. So at some point, you just, you're just going to keep seeing the slippage and it's, it, you're just not going to be able to do it week to week and play to play and, 
and all the things that you need to do in order to, to get yourself in a position to be a viable playoff team. And, an inch, and another uh, part of this is if they do lose McDaniels, then you're talking about presumably bringing in a new offensive coordinator. Maybe they could promote from within, but you're presumably bringing in a new offensive coordinator. If you do that, now you're talking about if you bring Brady back, you're gonna he has to learn the whole new offense, right? Or at least whatever adjustments they'll make to what McDaniels did. So now Brady for a full year is kind of adjusting. Or then in a year when Brady leaves, you're presumably you're ta- you're now learning another offense from, a, from or you're, you're now teaching another quarterback that offense. So it seems like this is a natural part to maybe for Brady and the Patriots to split ways. But the question is, if Brady leaves, let's say the Patriots decide it's not going to happen, where does he go? I mean. There's just not a lot of open quarterback spots. Now, Brady is obviously Tom Brady. So, I mean, some teams might be willing to move on from their quarterback they currently have because of just who he is. But you said it. He looks old, didn't look great on Sunday night. um, And I just don't know where it would be. I mean, there's maybe Carolina with Matt Rule. They don't have a quarterback right now, assuming they move on from Cam. Chicago might make a lot of sense if you move on from, from Trubisky. I like the idea, even though it's kind of outlandish, of him going to Dallas. But... Where where do you think would even make sense for Brady to end up? Well, I think really, I don't think there's a lot, you know. Um, but, you know, if you just look at the connection that's out there. I mean, the Miami Dolphins, they're not a great team, but they did they did go there and win um, in week 17 in what Bill Belichick called a playoff game. They have been well coached by Brian Flores. Their general manager, Chris Greer, I mean, their offense coordinator, they all came out of New England. Yep. So he's going to have, and it's basically would be his offense that he would just, and, and presumably they've got more assets than anybody else out there, whether it's free agency, whether it's through the draft or trades, that they could build the team up around him. And to me, the only reason to me that Tom Brady would want to leave at this stage and leave Belichick and leave the nest is to is to basically do the only thing that is left to be done. And that's to show you that I can do it without Belichick. And mm-hmm. I'm sure there's a big part of his competitive drive that says, man, I've been listening to this stuff for way too long. I can do this without Bill Belichick. And that would be, not only could you do it potentially in Miami, but you could do it potentially against Belichick. And so I do think that's one place that would make sense on a lot of different levels. And you have Devontae Parker there. You have Mike Jacecki there. And Jacecki, I'm not meaning to compare him whatsoever to Gronk. But, I mean, that is a physical type of tight end there. Devontae Parker's shown this year how good he can be. And from the Dolphins' perspective, you could still draft a guy in the top five. Yeah, and Brayman. I mean, who wouldn't want to train under Tom Brady? You know, right. the way Garoppolo did. The way, you know, all the guys that came through New England and then moved on. I mean, you can still draft your guy. And look, if Brady gets looks old or just can't do it and it's not working, you go to him. But in the meantime, you could get some level. You know, I don't think Brady loves doing this, but at some level you could get some training, or at least by watching and mirroring the way he goes about his business. So in speaking of changes with the Patriots, you already touched on it, but Joe Judge, their special team slash wide receiver coach, Surprise hire by the Giants. I mean, a wild kind of four or five hours where it seemed like Matt Rule was going to go there and interview. All of a sudden, Matt Rule has agreed to be the Panthers head coach. And then pretty quickly thereafter, it's it's reported that Joe Judge is a new head coach of the Giants. 
Um, I know a lot about, about McCarthy. I know a lot about Matt Rule. Not going to lie, Baldy. Joe Judge is a guy I had to do some research on. Um, what what do you know about him? And as Giants fans start to learn about him, what should they know about their new head coach? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, I knew he, you know, he was at Alabama, and there's a connection there with uh, Nick Saban and Bill Belichick. And, you know, I mean, special teams have always been a big part of the Patriots' success. So he's been in the building and coaching guys like Matt Slater and a variety of punters this year and one of the great kickers for a long time. I mean, I, you know, I, I saw in, in just the way that they value field position. I mean, I think the one thing about special team coaches, and I don't know Joe. I mean, I knew John Harbaugh very well when he left Philadelphia. But, you know, I mean, at least John Harbaugh, his last year, he was a defensive back coach for Jim Johnson. I mean, he had some, you know, there was, you know, you know he had coached another position. But the one thing about special team coaches is you really – coach a cross-section of the team. You'll co- you coach starters on offense, starters on defense. Either you can lead a cross-section of the team or you can't. And, you know, obviously Belichick gave him a ringing endorsement, which really helped. That I, I can see that. But all these guys that leave, they all try to be Bill Belichick. You, you can't be Bill Belichick at age 38 with no notches in your post. So I don't know if he's going to be one of these guys that stands up in front of the Giants room and he has that kind of cachet or what he has. I, I I'm anxious to see what staff he puts together. Um, Cause that will say a lot, but be honest with you. I, I don't know what his personality is like, and I don't know what he's going to be like in front of the room. And I guess the good thing is the Giants really don't have that many veteran players on that team right now that would even think about challenging somebody like that or even know how to challenge. They just don't have that many veteran players. Baldy, before we get into all these new hires, good hires, bad hires, hires we're skeptical of, what I do hope is that all these teams that made hires, I really hope they use ZipRecruiter. And it's a new year, and it's a perfect opportunity to take your business to the next level by hiring the right people. But finding qualified candidates can be challenging, as some of these teams found out. ZipRecruiter.com slash enter makes it easy. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards. But they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. And as applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate within from the site within the first day. And hopefully four out of these five teams are happy with the hires they made. That would be a great outcome based off how coaching hires normally end up. So as of right now, our listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash E-N-T-E-R. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. So what I would say to Giants fans is when Doug Peterson was hired here in Philadelphia, it was pretty much mocked by almost everybody nationally and locally. People thought it was a combination of like laughable and also depressing. I mean, it was ranked the worst head coaching hire, all those things. So I think it's important as we start to talk about these head coaches to say, you really don't know what a guy is going to do until he's in the chair, right? I mean, Joe Judge could end up being the best one and Doug ended up being the best head coach from that, from that coaching hire. I mean, there was one article that had Chip Kelly is the best hire. And I think he went two and 14 his first year. 
And then two years later after that, Doug Peterson, who was ranked as the worst hire, won the Super Bowl. So we'll learn about Joe Judge. But what I will say about what I will say also about it is this. When we started recording this podcast in training camp, if you would have asked me who the worst general manager in the NFL was, I probably would have saved, said Dave Gettleman. And we'll see if these moves end up working out. But what I really come to respect about Gettleman is he really does just follow his gut. I mean, going up to get, I mean, not going up to get, but drafting Daniel Jones number six overall. That's not a popular move. That's a move he's made because he believes in it. Taking Saquon at number two overall, you can certainly still debate the, the merits of taking a running back at number two overall, but he believed in it. He said flat out he'd even listen to any trade, trade requests. Joe Judge is very similar. Joe Judge is not the popular guy. He's not the popular choice. He's not Matt Rule. He's not McCarthy. 99% of NFL fans probably didn't even know who he was. So I do respect, for better or worse, that Gettleman just goes with what he believes in. And I think that is a good trait in an NFL GM. I don't think you want an NFL GM that's constantly changing to the different trends and seeing what other teams are doing. And you want to learn from teams. But I, I like that Gettleman just does what he believes in and he'll either sink or swim with it. Well, I, you're right. I mean, I, I know Dave and, um, but I do think, I, I think you're right. I think he just goes by what he feels, but he does listen to everything out there. Mm-hmm. So it's not like he's just that strong about his own opinions. Cause if you were that strong and you were that self-righteous about what you believe, then you wouldn't listen to anybody else. But he does. And, you know, I don't know how intentional it is, but I know he listened to what all the people said about him and how they mocked him for Daniel Jones. And not just that. There was other selections, too. So he's he's cognizant of the criticism. But now, you know, to his credit, I think he can handle it, I think. But why would you even pay attention to it? And he does. And so that's that's kind of like... But my, point, my point is more so that... Daniel Jones like wasn't the popular pick. There, there's been a lot of times in Gettleman's career with the Giants where he could have done the easy thing. Like taking Sam Darnold would have been the easy selection at number two overall, right? Maybe taking Dwayne Haskins over Daniel Jones would have been the easy choice. They could have written a blank check to Mike McCarthy or Matt Rule, and that would have been the easy choice. So I'm, I'm not saying he doesn't listen to people. Like, I mean, he's talked about you know building more of an analytics department, and I'm skeptical of that. And I think you're right. He definitely hears the criticism, and I think he's reacted to that. But my point more so is he's constantly kind of gone against the easy and conventional decision, especially when you consider his job is probably somewhat on the line. I mean, you know, if uh, if he would have said to, to the Maras and, and the Giants owners, look, Matt rules the guy. Everyone says he's the guy. Let's get him. Then that would have been the safe choice. But I think that what I just respect and I don't even know if it'll work out, but he does just do what he what he believes in and doesn't take the the way where everyone's kind of saying, okay, that's what you do. Yeah, but I, I don't know. You know, like, he's there and Eli's there. Now, we know Eli. I mean, Eli might still play someplace. Who knows? But, I mean, at some point, you're sitting there with Sam Darnold or Baker or whatever, and you don't make the move at quarterback that you should have made. You should mm-hmm. You should have made the move the year before. Now, you can say, okay, well, we thought Eli has three years left. Well, what are you watching? You know, I mean, it's like these decisions are tough decisions. Yeah. And I'm not saying that Eli should have been the fall guy or should have been moved on from, but it seemed like it was a perfect time just to move on. I mean, other organizations have moved on. The 49ers moved on from Joe Montana and 
Brett Favre and Green Bay. I mean, teams move on from great players in all sports. Like, that's a tough decision. But you, but I felt like he buckled in that deal. And But who knows? Maybe Sam Darnold isn't a guy. Maybe Daniel Jones will be a much better player. I mean, so it'll all play out. I, I do think they screwed up the Matt Rule deal, though. I mean, I, Matt Rule has, to me, he has a resume that is far superior to Joe Judge. All right, and, yeah, let, let, let's talk about it. So Matt, Matt Rule goes to Carolina. They turn down, for those that don't know, the Giants reportedly turned down a seven-year deal that the Matt Rule did sign, or six years, I believe, with the chance to be seven uh, in Carolina. So they had a chance to get him or at least to get him out of Carolina and interview him. Um, you're obviously very familiar with Matt Rule. You're around here in the uh, Philly, South Jersey area. Matt Rule was the head coach at Temple here for a while. He's from the area. He coached with the Giants. Um, so what 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 are you, what do you like so much about Matt Rule, and what are Panthers fans getting? Well, I mean, he has rebuilt two horrible college football situations and made them winners, and not just made them winners, but he left them winners. Baylor will win games next year without him. But he's got a succession plan. He has an ability. I mean, his father is a preacher. He grew up in New York. I mean, they ran homeless shelters in New York. He, he has the ability, like, like a great prince. Like he can talk to the lowest person on the totem pole from the worst environment to kings that grew up on the other side of the street in the best environment. He can cut through all that cloth because that's how he was raised by his dad. But he, he did that at Temple with no facilities and no money and, and with two-star athletes, and he beat elite programs. He took Notre Dame to the brink mm-hmm. at the link on Saturday night. Um, he took over a Baylor program that was – you might as well have just given him the death penalty, the school that he took over. And he's got him competing for the Big 12 championships in two years. I, the guy builds programs, but the way that he does it is he builds toughness within the program so that the players – he, and look, all these players, I don't care how much money they make, all of them have to be motivated on a regular basis. And his ability to motivate to me is, I mean, I know people that were with the Eagles and then were with him at Temple. And they will tell you that Matt Rule's the best coach they've ever been around. So, yeah. uh, you know, and so, and there's people in that Philadelphia Eagle organization that, you know, wouldn't mind Matt Rule in Philadelphia right now. Um, there, he is a highly, and you don't have to spend too much time around him before you can feel it. And he just has certain beliefs that are a little bit old school. He went to Penn State with Joe Paterno. He coached for Tom Coughlin with the New York Giants. I could not believe, and Gettleman was there in New York when he was there. I could not believe for a second that it wasn't Gettleman's top choice. Yeah, well, I mean, it sounds like maybe it came down to, to the Maras and the money. I mean, you talk about how much he got. He certainly got a huge deal from the Panthers. I think the annual average was around $10 million, six years with the chance to be seven. So you're not that far off from Gruden money, and the Gruden money was an insane amount of money. So Matt Rule comes into the league, you know, if not the number two highest paid NFL coach, he's definitely in the top five. So he, the expectations are going to be there quickly to win. Let me ask you. How quickly can the Panthers turn it around? I mean, they they might not have a quarterback, assuming you move on from Cam, or even if Cam does come back, he's a big question mark. Uh, there's reports that Joe Brady, the LSU passing coordinator, could be their offensive coordinator. He'd get a chance to call plays there. I mean, how quickly can Carolina turn this around? I expect Carolina to be competing for a Super Bowl, meaning they're going to get to the final eight in the next three years. 
Wow. I, I would expect them to be a playoff team in two years. But I expect them to compete in this divisional round in three years. And I don't think this is a long build. I think that Cam Newton has to make a decision about what he wants to do. Um, Matt will coach him. And and he will – and if Cam is healthy, he will have a renewed interest in the game of football unlike he's ever had. Or he won't be there. Um, he either has a renewed and complete commitment to the game, which I think he needs anyways. But I think if there's anybody that can get what Cam Newton was four years ago back out of him, it's Matt. And if he doesn't, and he, if he's not willing to do that, then he'll move on. He'll get a stopgap guy and he'll draft a guy. Yep. Yeah. I, the Cam Newton one is one of the more interesting uh, things that will happen this offseason in terms of player movement. We talked about where Brady could end up, where Cam ends up could have some type of impact on that. Because if Cam's a free agent or if they trade him, I think they'll still be teams interested. But the last head coach I want to ask you about before we move on to some of these games, uh, speaking of winning now, the Cowboys clearly make a win now move, bringing in Mike McCarthy. They have probably, or I would say definitely the most talented roster of any team that hired a head coach this offseason. They have a young quarterback. They have the expectation to not only be in the playoffs next year, but win a game and compete. So Mike McCarthy goes to Dallas. I really like the hire. I mean, McCarthy was extremely successful in Green Bay. Um, and this is a small thing, but to me it means a lot. I really like that McCarthy stayed so involved throughout the year, meeting with different coaches throughout the week, you know, watching the games, building fake game plans, those type of things. I think that's a really promising sign. I like what he'll do for Dak. I think he brings some stability to that organization and some fresh ideas. So I, I, of all the hires, I really like the Matt Rule hire, but the McCarthy one might be one of my favorites for Dallas. Well, I like Mike. I mean, I think he looks terrible, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> like, I mean, if you take the year off, I mean, at least get yourself in a great shape. And he didn't look should like be doing hot yoga with you, man. Well, he should be. Out there. Um, I, I really worry, honestly, about his health. Um, I, I've seen this to coaches too many times. But, you know, a guy that has been with Joe Montana – coached him in Kansas City, drafted Alex Smith and started the development of him, worked with Favre, worked with Aaron Rodgers. I mean, I think he knows how to talk to quarterbacks. And I think he knows how to talk to him in a way. And I think he really self-scouted himself. Aaron Rodgers can be difficult. I mean, he just can be. But And that might have gotten away from him a little bit. But I think he also self-scouted himself a, a great deal, which more coaches need to be able to do and look – at what their weaknesses are, what went wrong, what went right, and really evaluate, really self-scout themselves. I think Mike did a good job of that this year, at least from what I've read. But I think I think if Mike he's just when you sit down with Mike McCarthy, he's it's almost impossible not to like him and not to respect him. He's so sure about himself as a coach and what he believes in. And I don't think that there's a lot of ground for Jerry Jones to even meddle with Mike McCarthy, to be honest with you. Like, mm -hmm. Mike just knows how to be very declarative about what he wants and how he wants it. And I think that's going to be a good thing for Dak. Yeah, I also think that when you talk about of all these new teams, you know, the Giants, the Panthers, the Cowboys, they, they do have obviously the best chance to win. And from the Eagles' perspective, I would have – preferred if I'm the Eagles to see the Cowboys go with a younger guy that might take some time to build up. McCarthy feels like someone that could have this team in double digit wins next season. So I, I would be a little worried if I'm the Eagles and 
Speaking of the Eagles, really quick, actually, I do want to get your take on the fact that they hired, uh, they fired offensive coordinator Mike Groh and receiver, Carson, receiver coach Carson Walsh. I thought it was the right decision. They kind of fumbled the announcement of it. But I think this Eagles offense needs new ideas. And I think bringing a new offensive coordinator is going to help that. Well, I do. I, I agree with that. I, I thought maybe they might put Mike Groh back a wide receiver because I thought he was a good wide receiver coach. Yep. And I thought the group had a really good year. Uh, with him at that position, it was it was clearly not working as a coordinator, and Carson Watch was it was just it was awful. They had to make a change. Um, I'm happy for Deuce. I think he deserves a shot. I thought he was the second best assistant coach on the staff, behind uh, the offensive line coach, and so I'm excited for for Deuce to get it, get a start. And if you look at one position that has flourished, you know, while Deuce has been there, it's been the running back position. I mean, every running back they put in there just about, you know, had some level of success, including Boston Scott and certainly Miles Sanders. So um, I think Deuce deserves this spot. I think he takes it very seriously. And I think he'll do a really good job for him. So you you think they'll you think that they'll go ahead with Deuce as offensive coordinator? I, I I'm I'm expecting to, for them to make that move. Now, maybe they don't, but I think he's ready for it and I think yep. he deserves a shot. I don't know what's going to – I mean, I don't have any inside information here over in London right now. Uh, but, I mean, I would like to see him get a chance. Yeah. I mean, they've passed over him twice. So I would be not surprised if they did it, but they have shown a reluctancy to do it for him. But, Baldy, before we get into the games this weekend, we're just talking about all these new hires, good hires, bad hires, hires we're skeptical of. What I do hope, though, is that all these teams that made hires – I really hope they use ZipRecruiter and it's a new year and it's a perfect opportunity to take your business to the next level by hiring the right people. But finding qualified candidates can be challenging as some of these teams found out. ZipRecruiter.com slash enter makes it easy. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. And as applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate within from the site within the first day. And hopefully four out of these five teams are happy with the hires they made. That would be a great outcome based off how coaching hires normally end up. So as of right now, our listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash E-N-T-E-R. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Baldy, we've talked about all these teams that didn't make the playoffs, the Eagles that didn't win a game. Now let's talk about the final eight, the elite teams in this league. Really good first game. I mean, I think probably the, although the Titans being the Patriots was surprising, you could argue the upset of the weekend was the Minnesota Vikings going into New Orleans and beating the Saints in the manner they did. I mean, they really controlled the game in a lot of ways. The Saints... We're lucky it was even that close. So now they travel to San Francisco. Um, I think San Francisco is the, probably the best team in the NFC. But when you take their lack of playoff experience in, then you could lead towards a team like the Packers. But I think if the 49ers are ripe for an upset, it is this weekend. Um, what do you look at when you look at Vikings heading to San Francisco? Well, look, Kirk Cousins, you know, really answered a lot of critics in that game. And the throw to Adam Thielen, you know, when the game – mattered the most in that moment to make that throw and to take care of the football for five quarters. It was an impressive performance. Um, 
And I think they'll play well. But, you know, San Francisco went the longest stretch without a bye of any team in this postseason. I mean, they went 13 straight weeks. And any team that goes 13 straight weeks, I mean, all of October, November, December, without, you know, playing every single weekend with all the travel and everything and all the injuries, I think they really need a week off. But I, I can't even imagine Kyle Shanahan, Shanahan not having an elite game plan for this game, even though it's the most experienced defense in the postseason. And they're really good. And Zimmer coached them up really well against New Orleans. But I think you're, you're going to see probably a lot of new plays and some new, mo- uh, some new play actions in this game. I think you'll see some things that nobody has seen all year long from this office. I expect the 49ers to be clicking on every cylinder. I, I think this is going to be an extremely tough game for the Vikings. I, I think the 49ers are better uh, in some ways in the trenches because of the way that they run their play action and what they get off of it than the New Orleans Saints. Um, I think the quarterback is in some ways – I'm not saying he's better than Drew Brees. I'm not saying that. But in some ways he's more dynamic because they do different things that give defenses a lot of problems. They give you a lot of cheese on almost every snap. And if you take the cheese, they're gonna they're gonna just they're they're gonna just wipe you off the map. And so, but you're you're constantly put in that position. Do I take the cheese? Uh, and I've seen great defenses. I mean, I saw Raheem Mostert with the Eagles cut in 2015. The guys run. The guy has seven touchdowns in the month of December. Mm-hmm. I mean, the guy's got world class speed, and the 49ers have figured that out. And he's gonna probably be their he is their starting running back right now. So my concern would be this. When the Vikings play at the top level that they're capable of, they are a very good team. Like Kirk Cousins is a very good quarterback when he's playing well. They have an elite set of skill position players. I know Thielen's kind of banged up, but it seems like he'll play. Dalvin Cook looked great last week, and their defense is really good too. So I think if the Vikings bring their A game, they could make it close. And I and I hear your point about the 49ers needing a week off. I think it's great that they got it. And I think that Shanahan is good. Shanahan is going to have some things ready, but we do see sometimes these teams coming off of buys get off to slow starts. So I think the 49ers win. I wouldn't pick the Vikings, but I think this one ended up could being could end up being a little closer. I'm going to pick the 49ers to win this one, something like 27 to 24. Well, look, the Vikings' offensive line played pretty well on Sunday. I've seen them not play well at all, and this whole thing fall apart. I think that DeForest Buckner, Eric Armstead, Nick Boza in this group is going to have their way. I just think they're going to play so fast. It's going to be blinding to the guys, Brian O'Neill and Pat Elfline, some of these guys up front. Um, I, I I don't think it's going to be close. I, I think the 49ers win this game 31 to 14. Wow. All right. That's a that's certainly a blowout. Uh, the next one, Tennessee at Baltimore. Tennessee, we've already talked about their big win over the Patriots, obviously, to get here. The Ravens clicking on all cylinders all year long, really dominant to watch every week. The Titans, though, are probably the hottest team in the playoffs right now. I mean, they're Ryan Tannehill's playing at great level. They're they're obviously feeling great about themselves coming off that win over New England. And they kind of play a similar style, obviously, with in terms of just, you know, leaning on Derrick Henry. Um, and just like the Baltimore Ravens run the ball quite a bit. Do the Titans have a chance to go in there and beat the Ravens? Uh no, I don't. I, right, I, I think that, <laughs> I, don't, I don't. I don't give them a chance. I mean, I, there's always a chance. Um, I don't think Derrick Henry can duplicate what he just did. I mean, you're not gonna you're not gonna lift Brandon Williams 
and some of these defensive linemen out of the trenches the way they did last weekend. I mean, you're just not going to do that to these guys. Pierce and, and you know, the whole group right now. I mean, I think I talked to Greg Roman, the offensive coordinator, a couple of weeks ago in Cleveland, and he told me that he's got a bunch of offense that he has specifically and purposely saved for January. Wow. Not February, January. Like tomorrow night, you're going to see plays and designs. Now, that can be good in that they haven't been scouted by Tennessee, but it can be bad if you, you, know, you haven't had a chance to really do it live and how do you execute it. But there's going to be some plays and designs that we have not yet seen. I, can't, I, I, I hope that my eyes, after watching every game this year of the Ravens, that I can see it when it happens. But I, I don't know what it's going to look like, whether it's triple option passes or what, whatever it's going to be. I think there's going to be some wrinkles in here that Tennessee is going to have some trouble with. Yeah, and I think that, as you mentioned, there can be a plus and there could be uh, you know, a negative of pulling out these plays. And we have a, a little bit of breaking news. It appears as if Jim Schwartz will not be getting the head coaching job in Cleveland. So maybe that's a bit of a surprise. Maybe it's not. But um, just the fact that he's not going to get it, it means that reportedly not going to get it. He'll be back in Philadelphia. So interesting move there for the Eagles. Interesting. Uh, the Browns are going to pass on him. It just seems to indicate that Daniels is going to get the job. So you think the Titans don't have much of a chance. I'm going to go Ravens 35-ish, Titans low 20s, high teens, something like that. I think this one could end up being a blowout. What do you, what, what do you think for a final score? Well, I just think Baltimore has been so well tested during the season. You know, they've, they played Kansas City. They went to Pittsburgh. They played Seattle, New England, Houston, San Francisco. I mean, they played the best teams in the league this year. Yep. And they've won, you know, they've won 12 in a row. And really outside of that San Francisco game, not many of them were close. I think they're battle-tested. I think they're rested. And I think John Harbaugh, you know, just knows how to get teams ready. I'm sure they did a lot of hitting um, at some point just to make sure that they're as, as physical as they need to be against Derrick Henry. I'm sure they put the pads on quite a bit, get off blocks. I just think that this – and I and every week that Lamar Jackson has played, he's been the best player on the field. And I think he'll be the best player on the field again this weekend. Yep, I, I agree. I like the Ravens in this game uh, handily. I, I, don't, I don't know what they're going to score. 33 to you know, 33-17, 33-16, something like that. All right, so you're going blowouts for the first two games. The next one, the Texans come back against the Bills. Deshaun Watson puts on the superhero cape, brings them to the win in that game. They're at Kansas City, a team that's only playing the second week because the Patriots lost, of course, to the Dolphins. So the Chiefs are happy to be opening at home. Texans at Chiefs, what do you see in this game? Well, it's a re- it's the only rematch in this divisional championship round. Houston went there in week six and won that game 31 to 24. They I was there that day. They ran hundred. They ran for 190 yards, and it was Carlos Hyde. It was Duke Johnson. It was Deshaun Watson. I mean, you know, and when they needed a play, they just – I mean, they didn't have anybody on Kansas City that could stop DeAndre Hopkins on third and one or fourth and one. I mean, he didn't have a lot of yards, but he made a lot of big plays. Now, Kansas City has completely rebuilt their defense um, in a lot of different ways. They've taken a starting corner. He's at safety. They, they now have, you know, their best defensive player – basically down the box, um, you know, in, and I think that's that's a good move when you look at Tyron Matthew and where he's playing right now. I mean, he's led the team in solo tackles and interceptions. I mean, he's just an unbelievable football player. 
Um, and it's and he's playing to his strengths right now. And I think it took a half season for them to understand what Spags is all about and why this stuff does make sense. And they played a lot better in the second half. Uh, but I, 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 I think, I think, well, I think Frank Clark had a much better second half. I, I think getting, um, I think putting putting the corner at at safety right now made sense. The rookie at at safety isn't a rookie anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, Tavarius Ward is one underrated corner in this league. He's locking down players right now. I mean, they just are making a lot more plays. I think uh, getting T Sizzle made a lot of sense. He can give them you know probably fifteen or twenty plays on Sunday. But I, I think the difference in the whole game is the speed of Kansas City's offense. I mean, they're a blur. And there's just almost no way to defend Tyreek Hill, Nicole Hardman, Sammy Watkins, Demarcus Robinson, Travis Kelsey, and Damian Williams. I mean, there's just nobody has that kind of speed. And then you have a quarterback that is just wired for these kind of games. Like he plays fearlessly. And I, I think the way that he attacks, I think, is going to be tough because Tennessee does not have a great pass rush. Um and there's really no defense for Patrick Mahomes. Final score. Are you feeling another blowout in this one? I, I think this one could could actually be a blowout. Um, I'm going to pick the Chiefs, obviously, to win this one. Kind of, like I said, similar for Titans-Ravens, something along those lines. I think they'll get in the 30. The Texans will struggle to get into the 20s. Um, I'm definitely picking the Chiefs. So you think a blowout as well? Yeah, I do. I mean, I think Kansas City is just that week off, and I think the way that they play defense second half of the season – and I think everybody is completely healthy, including Damian Williams at running back. And they just have, I mean, they got a world-class supporting cast right now around, you know, maybe, maybe you know, Patrick Mahomes not going to be the MVP of this league, but he might be the MVP of the postseason. So three blowouts so far, it sounds like. The game that probably has the best chance to be close just because the Seahawks seem to always play games close. Seahawks travel to Green Bay. Uh, the Packers, because of the playoff experience they have at quarterback, obviously not head coach. I think you can make an argument for them potentially the favorite uh, right now, just because I'm, I'm a little skeptical of the 49ers lack of playoff experience, but uh, Aaron Rodgers and the Packers, obviously a great team. Russell Wilson going in there. I saw them up close and personal last week. Russell Wilson just makes four or five plays a game that allows the Seahawks to really never been blown out, whether it's on third and long, whether it's, you know, turning a broken play into an eight yard gain on a scramble. So I think this game will be close. Um, I'm picking the Packers though, just because ultimately I don't think the Seahawks have enough. Uh, with so many injuries at running back, Marshawn Lynch did not good, look good last week. I think DK Metcalf is going to turn into a really great player, but still young and you know kind of somewhat inconsistent. So I'm going to go with the Packers to win this one, but I think it'll be close. I'm going to pick the Packers 27 to 24. I like the Packers in this game. Um, I, I Just watching Aaron Rodgers a bunch this year and seeing him live a couple weeks ago against the Bears. Um he, I mean, he'll tell you that we won, we win ugly. And sometimes it does look ugly. But I think the mistake some teams make, Elliot, is they feel like they need great players at every position. And they, you need like an all-star cast in order to win. Mm-hmm. And, you, and you don't. You, but you need some really dependable pieces. Like Devontae Adams, if it's fourth and six at the 35-yard line, and you could march Mason Crosby out there, or you could punt it, or you could put it in Aaron Rodgers' hands. Aaron Rodgers is going to tell you a hundred times out of hundred, "Give me the ball, I'll get it to Devontae Adams." I, like, like he's going to go to Devontae Adams when he needs when he needs it. And then 
he's got Aaron Jones, who has proven to be one of the great dual threat players in this league. And he has been difficult to stop in some games this year, as difficult as anybody. And maybe that's all you need is two, two star pieces, but you just rely on them in the biggest moments. I think that's going to happen against Seattle's defense. I don't think they're a great defense. Nope. And then I think the other side, though, where it's really going to tilt is I think this Green Bay defense is under Mike Patton and all of the interchangeable parts and the fact that they play a dime defense and they have all this speed and youth on defense with playmakers like Zedarius and Preston Smith and whatnot. I mean, I just think this is a defense that can actually challenge Russell Wilson when he tries to extend these plays and, and match up with DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. I mean, I, I think this defense is going to play really well against Seattle's banged up offensive line. And you start chasing Russell Wilson. I mean, you can, you can force him into making mistakes. He's proven that before. All right. So it sounds like you like the Packers in this one. You want to give a final score prediction? Well, I mean, the Packers were five and zero in December. I don't know what great teams they beat in December. They beat the Vikings, but um, I think they continue winning. I, I, I think they score in the 30s. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, you know, 31-20, 31-21, something like that. All right, so potentially four non-competitive games this week, but they'll certainly be fun to watch. Playoff football always is. Baldy, how much longer are you in London for? You th- you there throughout the here through, Super Bowl? I'm here through the championship weekend, and then I'm, I'm heading to the Pro Bowl to start filming film sessions down there at the Pro Bowl. So I'm leaving here on that uh, Monday after Championship Sunday. All right. Well, I look forward to hearing what you, how you spend your next week as well because we will be back next week talking about these four games and previewing Championship Weekend. It's uh, pretty wild we're already there. But, Baldy, appreciate the time as always. Thanks, everybody, for listening. This has been the Prevent Defense Podcast brought to you by Radio.com Sports. Baldy, talk to you next week. Thanks, Ellie. Enjoy the games this weekend. I'll see you soon.